this evening, we come to the end of our present sermon series in uh, uh, Paul's first letter to Timothy. So let me ask you a question that I have already posed to you, I think, at least twice in this sermon series. If uh, this week, for whatever reason, uh, somebody comes up to you and says and asks you, uh, what is First Timothy about? What are you going to say? We're at the end of the letter now. What are you going to say? What is First Timothy about? Well, hopefully, uh, you might mention something about the structures of the church. You might say that in First Timothy, Paul is concerned to, to show uh, how it is that we are supposed to pray in the life of the church that Paul is concerned to show who it is as well that we are to appoint as office bearers in the church. That You might say something about these things, the structures of the church. But hopefully we'd also widen that out a bit. Hopefully you might also say that, that Paul's concern in 1 Timothy is to call for a way of life from all of the people of God. He is concerned in 1 Timothy to show that really and truly there should be lives that are dramatically changed and altered by the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Well, as he closes the letter, so this evening is from verse 17 to the end. It's only a few verses, not the whole thing that Gabriel read, but from verse 17 as he closes it, it's to this theme of Christian living that Paul returns, and specifically to the way that now, because of the gospel, you and I should view our finances. Now, not here saying something about those who desire to be rich. He said that before, hasn't he? We looked at that just a couple of weeks ago. Here, it's about those who actually are rich. So here, Paul, as he closes the letter, he is speaking about believing or wealthy believers, if you want it like that. So I'll ask you another question, a second question. (laughs) Is this relevant then? You see what I mean? Like Paul's speaking to, or speaking about wealthy Christians, believers who have money. Is this, is this relevant to any one of us in here tonight? Is it? Yes. It is. Like if, you know, okay, we might not stick our hands up in the air if I was to ask whether we see ourselves as, as wealthy. But if, if we just compare ourselves to believers in other parts of the world tonight? Or if we compare ourselves to, think about this, believers from previous generations, think about this, if we even compare ourselves to the believing wealthy in Ephesus at the time, then, okay, I get it that being rich is a uh, relative term and there's disparity amongst us. But you see it, don't you? Like, as Christians living today in London in the 21st century, what are we, all of us? What are we? Wealthy. Comfortable. What does that mean? It means that the end of this letter is for you. It's from God this evening to all of us in here. So, 
With those things said, I would invite you to, to please have the verses open in, in front of you tonight, to just have these verses from verse 17 to the end of the chapter uh, open there. And let's consider a, a few things that, that, that Paul says. First of all, let's consider the dangers uh, for the wealthy. The dangers for the wealthy. How do you uh, uh, feel about the subject matter tonight? Does it make you squirm and feel slightly edgy just now? Are you? Is there maybe even just part of you that's thinking, who's this guy I think he is talking to me about my finances? You know, why is that? I mean, what I do with my money is entirely my own concern. Is there a part of you that's thinking like that? Well, Surely, you see, it cannot be like that for the Christian. We cannot think like that as the Christian. Now, I just want you to, to, to bear with me here and think about what it is that Paul's doing at this point in the letter. What's happening here? Just take a step back. What's going on? Paul is speaking to Timothy. And what is he telling Timothy to do? He's telling Timothy to speak to his congregation about money, about riches. Isn't he? In fact, actually, is it not a little bit stronger than that? Think about what Paul's doing. Paul is commanding Timothy to do what? To command his congregation in regard to wealth. Is that not what's happening here? So you see what that means. It means that it must be different for us to the way that it is out there in the world. We cannot just have this attitude that, oh, well, we can do whatever we want just because we're Christians. Just, you know, we can do whatever we want with our money. It's not like that. There are biblical principles that you and I, that God wants you and I to follow. Now, last week we noticed, or last time we noticed, a one important principle and it was that there is nothing inherently wrong with wealth. Do you remember we said that? That in God's eyes, there is nothing in and of itself that is wrong with having money, right? But that said, here in these verses, Paul does speak of a couple of dangers. And they are dangers that are common to and prevalent amongst the wealthy. And we said that's us. So what are the dangers well, the first one is the danger of false importance. You got that? The danger of false importance. If you look with me at verse 17, we're going to be, we're going to stick as close as we can to this text. Look at verse 17 and look what Paul says. Timothy, command those who are rich not to be, and do you see the word that he uses here? Command the rich not to be arrogant. Now, not to be arrogant? Like, do, you, do you see why it would be that Paul feels that he has to spell that out? I, I think we need only to consider some of the wealthy people in this world to see exactly what Paul's talking about here. That there is the temptation amongst those who are wealthy to think of themselves as more important than the poor. Is there not just to think that we are, because we are perhaps more uh, materially valuable than someone, to think, therefore, that we are then personally more valuable than that person. You see? And what Paul's doing here, he's saying, no, that's not right. 
Like he's saying to us as Christians this evening that our worth is not found in a bank account, is it? Like how do we determine our worth? Where's our value found? It's in the fact that we are made in the image of a triune God. And you see, don't you, that that is a worth, that is a value that extends to whom? To every single soul that has ever walked this earth and extends to them equally. So you've got it that there is the danger amongst the wealthy of false importance. But Paul adds a second danger here. Uh, Calvin calls this the danger of false security. So you've got the danger of false importance, but now the danger of false security. If you would look at the same verse, you see what Paul adds to this. He says, Timothy, command those who are rich not to put their hope in wealth. So I'll, I'll, I'll lay that before you again. Do you see why what it is that Paul said, you see why he's, he's saying that there is the tendency, surely, amongst the rich to pin their hopes on the material things of life. Is that not true? You know, to look for security to, what will we go for? An ISA? <laughs> I'm not even sure I know what an ISA is. But to, to look for security to, to a paid-off mortgage building or to look for security and all this money that we put into a retirement fund, right? To look for, to put our trust in these things, to pin our hopes to these things. And Paul's prohibiting that from the people of God. But I want you to see that he doesn't just prohibit it. Do you see what he does? He actually shows that point of view for the foolishness as, as, that it is. Look at verse 17. Command the rich not to put, pin their hopes in wealth. <laughs> Look what he says. Which is so uncertain. Or I think some of you are using the ESV. Look at how it is in the ESV. Paul speaks of the uncertainty of riches. I love that expression. Isn't that a great expression? The uncertainty of wealth. The uncertainty of riches. Now it is an epic expression but i hope you see that it is also gloriously accurate that wealth by its very nature is what it's unreliable it's absolutely uncertain a couple of days ago i was reading a a guardian article about the financial crash uh, of 2008 it was a recent article. So the premise of the article was actually to, to catch up with people who had lost, materially speaking, lost everything in the financial crash. I'll tell you this, it was genuinely hard reading, this article. I didn't quite finish it. Because it was just case after case after case of people who were just ruined. You know, people who were comfortable like us, but they went to bed like that, and then one morning they woke up and they were no longer like that. They were poor. They had lost overnight everything that they had. And you see, that that's right. That's how this works, isn't it? Like what happens sometimes with stock markets? They crash. And what happens with housing markets? The bottom sometimes falls out of these things. Isn't that right? Banks sometimes fold. You see these things, all of it. Wealth is absolutely uncertain and reliable. And so you see what Paul does. 
He then shows us where it is that you and I should place our hope. Look at it. What does he say? Command them not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God. Friend, do you see this evening, once again, the great truth in this, that we should not for our present hope, nor for our future hope, look to a bank account that honestly could be there tonight, but gone tomorrow. Instead, we must look to an everlasting God. You see it, don't you? Not to pin our hopes into something that is, is fleeing, not to pin our hopes to something that is material, but to pin our hopes to a person. More than that, actually, to a saviour, a saviour of souls, a saviour of sinners. Friends, I hope you see the truth in that eh, this evening. See, regardless of our financial status, we have everything that we will ever need spiritually in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? And you see why it is. What is it that we are told in Ephesians? What has Christ Jesus done for his people? He's lavished on us. And think about the language. He's lavished on us riches of his grace. I would urge you this evening to give real thought to the dangers of wealth. I would urge you tonight to repent again of our materialism. But I would urge you more than anything to pin your hopes on Jesus. Second thing that we see in First Timothy chapter 6 are the duties for the wealthy. So we've seen the dangers for the wealthy, second of all, the duties for the wealthy. Would you not agree with me that so far it's quite negative, the tone of what Paul is saying here? I think he's quite dangerous. He's talking about problems. It's, it's quite negative. Now, that changes. The tone changes very quickly. And what Paul does here is he, he now sets out a couple of very positive instructions for wealthy believers. Like, as in the first point, there are two side positive instructions. Two of them. First, is that the rich are to do good in their works. The richer to do good in the works. Would you look with me if your Bibles are open at verse 18 and see what he says? He says, Timothy, would you command the believing wealthy to do what? To do good. And I'm sure you love his language, don't you? Do you see what he says? Command them to be rich in good deeds. Now, again, do you see why it is that Paul feels that he has to set out these instructions about good works? I wonder if you would agree with the way that one of the commentators put this. Uh, He said, there is the tendency amongst comfortable believers, rich believers, to be lazy. You agree with that? The tendency, the temptation amongst rich believers to be lazy. Now, even if you do not believe that and agree with that, you at least surely see what he's saying, do you? That, there's the temptation amongst wealthy believers just to sit back and relax, isn't there? We have everything we need. Or there's the temptation amongst rich believers just to throw money at the problem. Something needs done in the church. What are we going to do? Are we going to do it? We're going to, ah, let's pay somebody else to do it. 
And you see that Paul is, again, he's, he's forbidden this sort of attitude. What's he calling for? He's calling for believers, whether they're rich or poor, to be active. To serve rich believers. To serve. And I'm sure tonight you see the witness that that in itself can be if we as comfortable Christians are in the service of the church. Most of you in here know uh, what I did before I I became a pastor, that I was a community worker um, in one of the most deprived areas of the country. Part of my job was to sort of lead up teams of Christian volunteers they would come to the church and uh, we'd have programs for them and helping in the area around the church. <clears throat> I remember one of the very first teams that I led it came across from the United States. And I was absolutely amazed to find that in amongst this group <laughs> was a current serving Mississippian senator. Like, I couldn't believe it. You know, here was this hugely wealthy guy, a hugely influential man. He had given up the handful of holidays he had to do what? To come and help me pick up used drug needles in a Kirkcaldy garden. And what an impact it had on me. What an impact it had on the people around the church. That this man, despite his wealth, what was he doing? So thankful was he to God for his salvation that he was active, that he was serving the kingdom, that he was serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is a second instruction. We are to do good as rich Christians in our works. The second one, we are to do good with our money. Look at verse 18. This will not be easy. Look at verse 18. Timothy commands these people to do good and to be generous and willing to share. Um, I, I wonder, did your parents, when you were young, ever give you advice about money and finance? I was uh, talking to my wife about this, and I cannot remember my parents ever giving me any advice or certainly if they did I never listened to it um, did your parents give you any advice I think if they did give you any advice about finance and money it probably boils down to one word save isn't that right save uh, for your future security certainly that's the, you know through the government sort of help to save schemes and so forth that's a prevailing view of society is it not that we save, we save for future security. And this evening, I want you to see that gospel economics are entirely different to that. See, look again at verse 18, and then we'll carry on. He says, command the rich to be look generous, willing to share. Now, what's the result of that, though? What happens in this way? Look at it. They will lay up treasure for themselves and then in the coming age. So wait a minute, do you see how God's economic system is the complete and utter converse of our own? What are we saying? What do we hear all the time? Save. Save for your future security. What's God's economic situation? What's his system? He says to rich believers, you don't save, you spend. 
You share. Why? For your future security. That the important thing for well-off, comfortable believers is to be sharing wealth, to be sharing with the needy. That we need to view our wealth as a gift from Almighty God. And that we need to see that every single time that we are sharing our wealth with needy people, what's happening with that? What's going on there? We are evidencing our salvation. We're also bolstering our heavenly bank account, aren't we? Aren't we seeing the a greater share in the riches that await? Now, I know that this is not easy. I know that we do not like this, do we? Like such is the curse of sin, that the very idea that you and I should be more generous as Christians, it's hard to hear. But I want you to see this is gospel living. It is. That we really and truly are called to help to try and alleviate struggling, help to alleviate poverty in this country and across the world. And so I'm just asking you this evening, are we obedient to this? How do you think of your finances? Do you view your finances just, well, do what I want with them? Or do you view your finances with gospel eyes? I'll put it another way. Listen to me. Are you rich in good deeds? Are you rich in wealth distribution? The duties for the wealthy. And we'll end with a third thing. We'll see, lastly, the deposit that is most important. The deposit that is most important. Okay, we've noted the start of the sermon that Paul's kind of returning to one main theme, Christian living. I want you to see that just as he closes this letter, he returns to what is probably... The other main theme of his letter to Timothy. And it is a theme that has dominated the whole of the letter. What would you say it is? The theme that's dominated the whole letter? Isn't it Timothy's battle with false teaching in Ephesus? So what does he say about it? Look at verse 21. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Or this is how it is... More literally, this is how it is. It's important to get this. He says to Timothy, Timothy, guard the deposit that you have been entrusted with. The deposit. Now, what is he talking about? Guard the deposit? What's the deposit? Hmm? Well, what would you say? It could be Timothy's calling. You know, closing the letter here, sort of saying... Uh, Timothy, make sure you guard this calling you've got from God to, to minister Christ in Ephesus. Could be that. I don't think it is that, though. More likely here, I think Paul is referring to the doctrine, the teaching of Christianity. You see that that makes sense, don't you? After this grand and, and a beautiful letter, he closes it off and he's saying, Guard the gospel, man. As you minister, guard it. Guard the truth of the good news. But we're left with a question, aren't we? How do, how do you guard the good news? 
Well, I'm pretty sure most of us at some point in our life have hired a car. Have you done that before? You know what that's like to hire a car? Especially if you do it, I think, abroad, what will happen is the employee will come out. You'll have to sign all the paperwork. They'll show you the car. Sometimes they'll even take photos of the car as well. And then hand you the keys. They'll entrust you with the car. But it's got to come back in exactly the the same way, doesn't it? Like if you're scratching that, if you're putting a dent in that car, you're going to be in a whole world of trouble, right? That's it. That's the idea here. Don't you see? It's a commercial word that Paul uses here for entrusting something to someone, but expecting it back in exactly the same way. Do you see the message to Timothy? Do you see the message to the church tonight? God has entrusted us with what? The message of salvation. And we are to do nothing. We are to in no way alter that. We are to no way distort or dilute that. That we are so closely to guard it. That it does not be changed. That it is not manipulated in any way. Isn't that an incredible responsibility that you have as a Christian? God has entrusted you with the message of reconciliation. Do you see what a responsibility it is? So thankfully, Paul tells us here one way that we can guard this message. Look what he says. He says to Timothy, you guard what has been entrusted to your care. Look at the next bit, though. Turn away from godless chatter. You see the message? One way that we can guard the good news in here and in our hearts is to flee, turn away from, run away from any sort of theological error, any sort of false teaching. And isn't that a pertinent message to Christians living in London? I think very much that there's been a group of people that have more opportunity to bask in false teaching than Christians living in London today. Do you see? That if we are careless about what we listen to online, and if we are careless about the sort of churches we go to, if we are careless about the sort of Christian conferences that we go to in the city, we even unwittingly expose ourselves to all manner of false teaching that can affect our hearts, that can infiltrate the life of the church. And what does Paul say? Flee from that. And I end with this. You see why it is important to flee from that. It is because the deposit that you and I have been entrusted with as Christians, it is the most valuable deposit of all. And isn't that true of the gospel? Consider even what we have been told in this very letter. Chapter 1. Jesus Christ is the very saviour of sinners. Chapter 2. That he has given his life as a ransom for, for all people. Chapter 3. That he has appeared in the body and be vindicated in the spirit. Chapter 4. That he is the very living God. Chapter 5. That he is the one who looks on and cares for the church. Chapter 6. What was it? He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. Friends, isn't it a glorious message that we have? So let us tonight go away from 1 Timothy chapter 6 and let's resolve in ourselves to live in light of this 
and to guard it, to cherish this message. Because if you're a Christian tonight, what a Savior you have. A Savior who has done what for you? Think about the theme tonight. Think about the theme. What has he done for you? Though he was rich, he's become poor. Why? So that by his poverty, you and I might eternally, and in the sight of God, we might be rich. Friends, what a gospel we have. What a letter First Timothy is, but ultimately, supremely, what a Christ. Let's pray.